There are three Kendalls here, three Dodies, <laughs> to support their grandpa. Introduction, welcome to Treasure Valley Baptist. I guess you could call this a uh, church day, a snow day. So dads, it's a great time to uh, build a snow fort or a two-story snowman. I know all the kids that they're listening, all they heard was snow fort. <laughs> so in my advice, shovel your driveway and then shovel your neighbor's driveway that you've been witnessing to. My boys and I did that all growing up. We would witness to our neighbors and we'd shovel their driveways. It truly wasn't very popular with my kids, but my neighbors appreciated it very well. And hopefully in those shoveling those driveways, you will burn some energy so they won't be so rambunctious to do the snow fort. But I do have a warning on the snow fort. One time I built a snow fort. And after I built it, I had to ask myself, is that snow fort safe? <laughs> so we had to go and uh, rebuild it a little bit so my kids could play in it and destroy it. So have a good day and a good Sunday building a snow fort or hanging out with your family, with God and your family. If you want to turn in your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Mark 2.15. Mark 2.15 and we'll pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning and what a snowy day it is. What a, uh, we pray for snow, for uh, the reservoirs and all this stuff, and then you bring us snow and we say it's too much snow. So Father, we're never truly happy, but God, thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the 12, 13, 14 souls that are here uh, to cheer me on. So Father, it's not do nothing cheering, but we do think about your word. We thank you, God, that it sets us free. And it's the truth shall make us free, and we shall be free indeed. So, Father, guide and direct these next few thoughts for a few moments as we speak to those out there that are watching by TV and those few folks here. But, Father, thank you for the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, divine asunder. Lord, it just changes our lives. It's something that we live with. As I read with my wife this morning, it's just something we have that's more than silver than gold. So thank you for it this morning, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mark 2, 15. And it came to pass that Jesus set to meet in the house with many publicans and sinners, and set also together with Jesus his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publican sinners? My title of the message today is, Do You Eat with Publicans and Sinners? Sometimes we look at people and we say, look at those people. How did they get like that? The gospel made it to Meridian, Idaho. And back in Matthew, it talked about going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, 18, which is the Great Commission, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. But so I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the earth. Amen. Christianity was new back then. Pharisaical, Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe in anything because they were sad, you see. And the zealots... Judaism, Canaanites, Babylonians, the Persians, pagan world, ancient religions, Hindus, Buddhism. If Christians only eat with Christians, there will be no more Christians. If Christians never interact with non-Christians, no one will be saved. We must be careful how we look at others. Question today is this. Do you stereotype people? So, oh, of course we don't stereotype people. I think Christians do a lot of it just out of convenience. Um, you look at that and you think, that person, that person, uh, how could that person get saved? I don't think that person would fit in our church. That's sort of not your call. I know I look at people and I see they're changing and I see the roughness of them and I, I see the difference because we were different once then. And I say, would that 
person feel good on the front row or come to our church or would they be accepted? The thing is you need to remember is we can catch them and God can clean them. We forget that we were saved and sometimes we forget we were lost. We forget what we were. And in Samuel it talks about, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance nor the height or the statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for the man looketh upon the outward appearance, but the Lord look upon the heart. That's why it's important that we walk with God. God looks on the heart. We walk in the Spirit. We lean on God. Our flesh doesn't want anyone saved. Our flesh is ungodly. It wants to see no man say so. It's really important that we walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the flesh, the flesh, the lust thereof. It says in Corinthians, it says we dare not to make ourselves to number our to number or compare ourselves with someone that commended themselves. But they that measured themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. I uh, go to many restaurants, and this one particular restaurant we go to. I was uh, sitting there having late dinner with my wife, and this waitress came, and she's been with us twice. I've witnessed to her twice. I I've, I've gave her a track twice with a decent tip, and I'll say this to you. Don't give someone a track if you're going to give them a dollar. But when I'm talking to her, and she's took care of us two times so far, she has tattoos and piercings all over, so the point where when she comes, she almost jingles. She got that much, but she's a very nice person. And I was thinking to myself, thinking, how, if that person got saved, and, and I can remember when I got saved, I just showed up at church, a wild man, a madman with a loud car, and I was loud. My wife wasn't loud, and, and all these old folks, 42 years ago, were just kind and, and nice to me, so I felt in place. But I was wondering, if she got saved and came to church, would people be nice to her? And I believe at this church they would. But it's always in the back of your mind thinking, ah, what would happen if that person got saved? Because it took a long time for God to clean me up. And as is anyone else, it's going to take some time for God to clean them up. John says, say ye not that in the fourth month, when cometh the harvest, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look into the field, for they are white to harvest. I have to be honest, I'm 64 years old, been around a bit. I've never seen such a bountiful crop out there. When you see in August the, the corn and all the fields and the wheat and it's rising to the top, you can't easily pass the fields, and you look at there and you think the combines are coming and they're going to clear that field and the, and the crops are just rising and they're big and, they're, and they look beautiful and they, you know they're going to be cut down. And I would say today in today's society that the crop is bountiful. And we would say and tendency to forget that we once was like that. And we forget that we're sinners just like others. It says, wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air and the spirit, now worketh in the children of disobedience. We ourselves once were enemies of God. I served the Lord, I served the devil for 21 years. You say, how could you say that? Because I didn't know God. And I was, only cared about myself and my flesh and, and myself. I didn't care about others. Oh, sure, we probably did a few kind things growing up to help other people. But it wasn't about that, it was just about me. And it says, so Jesus ate with publican sinners, knowing their thoughts. And he still ate with them and witnessed to them, and encouraged them. And he knew their thoughts, and he ate with them. And see, the thing is, is he knew what they were thinking. And he knew that the things they thought were probably unpleasant and unkind. And sometimes that, that stops us when we see someone, and we think, they're not going to be kind to me, or you don't know what's going on in their life. Shall I present myself to them with a track? How we are... Look at the lost. It's easy to have a self-righteous attitude. So what's that mean? I have been self-righteous. Right when I got done with the Institute, 
when I was younger, when I did a bunch of institute, I got done, I got self-righteous. And God humbled me. It's easy to say to protect the loved ones through isolation. Well, we're just going to live over here and not interact with the world and just take care of ourselves because the world is wicked. Yes, it is. But so was it in the days of Noah for 120 years. A preacher of righteousness. It's easy to say to those people, well, you reap what you sow. You see someone with a sign, and it's so easy to say, you don't want to work, you reap what you sow. But you have no idea what that person has went through. Maybe there's been death or divorce or a, or a child or something go wrong in their life, and they gave up. And here we drive by, and our vehicles that are 20 and 40 and 50 and 90 and $100,000 vehicles, and we're, we don't want to pull a 20 in a track and stop and give it to them because they reap what they sow. I say to you, that's not our call. That's not our call. And here's the one part, it's easy. Look away like you don't see them and drive on. My wife, one time we were going to dinner. I've said this story before. And <laughs> going to another dinner, which I probably don't need. And we were driving by the mission and my wife looked and there was a lady with four children on the side of the road. She looked at me and she says, Kendall, I will not eat with you unless you do something. So I said, are you kidding? <laughs> what are you saying? She goes, you know what I'm saying. So I turned around and blocks and was inconvenient. And I walked up to her and I gave her everything out of my wallet. What I should have done was grab them wife and four kids and go to a motel room and buy their motel for a month. But that sufficed us. It's easy to look away. It's easy to drive past them. It's easy to say this. Oh my goodness, especially in our world. I am too busy. We're never too busy. I, Brother Iselnog, come up to my office and they peek in the door and they go, are you busy? And I said, never too busy for you. And I'll say this to the congregation. If you're upstairs and you're in the offices upstairs and you think you're bothering us, you are not bothering us, we would love to talk to you. Come in and sit down. If we don't have a meeting, come out and sit down and talk to us within an hour. Brother Iselnog told me his whole life story within 45 minutes, and it was a grand story. And it was my enrichment. My enrichment. It's just too easy. It's, it's just as easy to hand him a track and say God loves you. I went through our track rack. I couldn't uh, believe. Uh, there's one for people who like rainbows. Give them a rainbow track. And remember, God invented the rainbow, so it's our rainbow. There's directional. There's game ones. There's the ticket. There's thank you tracks. There is a track for every issue in our track rack. And I say this because I'm going to say something here in a minute. Lost people have bad days. Lost people have bad relationships. When you go to the drive-up window and you see someone and they're, they're messing up your order and they're not coherent and they're not doing well, and the first thing you do is you want to snap back at them for getting your order wrong in one little way. Well, maybe they're, someone just died or maybe they're divorced or maybe the person that they love said, I don't love you no more. That's where a Christian shines. That's where a Christian can read, discerning the times, and read a person and be a people reader and say, oh, that person is in distress. I should help that person. When we grew up, we had to drive piece of junk cars and everybody had a car breaking down. But the one thing lost people did back then is we would stop and we would get out of our car and help someone push their car because we knew one day our car will need pushed. And I mean, it was something everybody did. Now when a car stops in the middle of the road, people honk and they're inconvenient and they don't dare get out because they don't think it's their job. Lost people have a heart. They have feelings. They have emotions. Lost people are just like you and me. The only difference is we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Are we selfish with the lost? Are we selfish to the point where I don't really want to share Christ with you because you don't fit my agenda. You don't fit my type of people that I hang with. 
You're going to make this inconvenient for me, so I'm not going to give you this because you're going to require something from me. They are just too much trouble. Many years ago, uh, many, many years ago, we would, did the youth and we were poor. And we lived on Roxbury Court. And there's one group in our church that this guy would never bring his kids to Sunday school. So for years, we would go three miles that way to get his kids and then go to church. And I'll tell you this, to this day, when they see me, they have a big smile. For years, we took them to church because their parents wouldn't. Are they too much trouble? Yeah, they are trouble. But what are you going to give the Lord when you get there? What are you going to say to them? And you see them shining faces because they're there and they're saved. God forbid. We were too much trouble at one time. The guy led us to Christ. The New Year resolution. People say, well, I'm going to have a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose weight. Well, if you're fat, you're probably going to stay fat. Because I'm fat. But oh no, I want to knock 20 pounds off. Or I'm going to make myself prettier. Or I'm going to get up earlier. Or I'm going to eat good food. And I'm going to do all these New Year's resolutions to improve myself. I have a... And God, first of all, says bodily exercise profited little. I'm going to challenge, I'm challenged myself already. I'm going to challenge everybody who's, who's watching and to these 14 souls. Ask God this. God, I'll have a New Year's resolution today. I want to win one soul to Christ and not someone who's in my peripheral, not someone that I already know because I can check them off the list because I know they're getting ready to get saved. I want to ask God, God, give me a soul to someone that I may stumble across, that someone you may run into their life or someone just off the cuff that I can tell about Jesus Christ and give me that soul for the year of 2024. And I wonder how God, when he looks at that, he says, wow, there's some guys down there asking me to give them a soul instead of improve their waistline, improve their health, improve their financial portfolio, improve themselves. God, give me a soul. Give me someone that I can lead to Christ. And I was going through all these tracks and I cannot believe just how, here's one, have a great day. There is so many tracks that fit every agenda and every occasion. We have, we have the ammo. We have the information. We have the ability. We have the Holy Spirit. And what we have to do is take this in to the highways and byways and to compel them to come in and say, God, my 2024, I'm not going to be happy until you give me a soul. Every morning, wake up and say, God, is this the day? That I stumble at someone in the mall, at the work, at the gas station. I mean, you got to pump gas and it takes forever for your gas to fill up. And there's someone right next to you. Someone right next to you doing the same thing. All you got to do is walk over and say, hey, how you doing? Which they're going to look at you like you're a weirdo. And you just lead off with the track and you can say whatever you want. How's the weather? Gas prices are too high. Whatever you want to say. Why not? Don't kid yourself. Those who are heavy will probably always be heavy, because I'm heavy. Be healthy, I get it. My neighbor, who I, we do his sidewalk with the shovel of the sidewalk. I use a snowblower. I didn't this morning because I had to come here. But the problem is with my neighbor, I blow his snow off. He's from California. He's a really nice person. He brings me He'll knock on my door. He's a baker. <laughs> and that's just like candy to him. That's not a good thing. And he brings me these loaves of sourdough bread. And they're, they're huge. They're not like a little. They're huge. And he'll hand me, he goes, well, I was biking, baking two of these, Kendall, and I thought of you. I thought, you thought of me. You want to give me bread. And, and when, he, when I grab it from his hand, it's warm bread. 
It's not cold bread. It's warm bread. And he even packages it like it's professional. And it smells good. And I come, it's my wife, who is it? Oh, it's so-and-so. He brought us some bread. Well, what are you going to do with warm bread that smells good and you've just ate? You're going to cut open the bread. And my son gave me the jelly of the month club. So I got a life's supply of jelly. He said, well, dad, I just did it to see it be how funny it would be. Well, it cost them like four or five hundred dollars. And they bring two or three jellies a month to you. And by two or three months, you got jelly run out of your ears. And so now at the end of the year, I have a jelly factory. So now I think I've got to eat my son's jelly because it was a Christmas present. So what he brings over that bread, I wipe open the jelly and going at it. So I probably should scrape the snow from everybody in the whole subdivision. <laughs> because he brings me bread. And I brought and I shoveled this sidewalk. But I'll tell you this, New Year's resolution. resolution. Ask God for a soul. God, a soul this year. And not someone close to me. And he sort of pricked my heart about that. And I thought, that's a good thing to ask. Because we always ask about ourselves. We never, we never ask about someone else. And so it's personal. It's individual. God, just give me a soul this year. And, 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 then, and then, let me help that soul find this church. And find a seat. And set with me. Yeah, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But oh, someone did it for you. I think if a doctor gets up at all times of the hours when you have a baby, nobody knows when a baby's. But these physicians, as great as they are, they'll come in at midnight or two in the morning or three in the morning and deliver this physical birth of this child. And when they do it, every time I've had five children, they, they were the best demeanor and the nicest people. And they were there in the most inconvenient time. Don't let inconvenience keep you from telling someone about Christ. Even if it's in the middle of the night. And they said, well, here comes the crazy neighbors. Here come those neighbors that are crazy. The truth is, they might think you're just as crazy. So be careful how you look at one another. We are not too busy. People are what's important. So much to so that it says this. For what shall profit a man if he'll gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In Mark 3, the man with the withered hand. In Mark 3, the man with the withered hand. It says this. And he entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day. That might, they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days? Or to do evil? To save a life? Or to kill. But they held their peace. And when they had looked around, when he had looked around, bowed on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the others. This church has many ministries. It does, and some of them just may not be your bag. It does not give you the power to critique just because we don't agree or like it. Pray and exhort, encourage. Have charity with those who minister to your children, to our adults. I come and I see the adult Sunday school classes and, and, and men that study are your adult Sunday school class teachers. They study for two to four to eight hours. 
And not only to come here early on Sunday morning and set up some chairs and make everybody feel comfortable, but these teachers, they'll study and they, and they, and they try to give their life of what God showed you. And you are benefiting from a man's studying himself to give you something. You have no right to critique his message. So much to sow, a story is this. 20, 25 years ago, I can't remember what it was. We were in the youth group for 25 years. We were at camp one year, and uh, ah, there's 130 to 40 kids and probably 15 or 20 counselors. I can't remember. A lot. And if you've been to camp, you get there late Sunday night. You get no sleep Sunday night. You go Monday, and you get no sleep. You go Tuesday, you get no sleep. You go Wednesday, you get no sleep. And Thursday, you get no sleep, and you drive home sleep-deprived, sleep-deprived, hoping that you get home safely, and that's why we know God is real, because all those counselors and bus drivers come home safely sleep-deprived. Well, and I thought it was a good camp, everything's great, and it was a wonderful camp, and when I got home, I, I got this letter. And one of the counselors that I brought, and I, I'm going to tell you, he, he, he meant no guile, but he gave me a whole legal pad of like 20 things that I could have done better. And when I seen that and I read it, it hurt. And I struggled. And the first thing from the flesh I wanted, wanted me to do is I wanted to quit. I said, well, I'm quitting, God, because look, this guy's the brother in Christ is critiquing me. And look at these things I could have done better. Duh, I could have done it all better. But, you know, first of all, volunteer and been there for years already. And so I've been there for 10 years before. So that means I'm really doing a bad job. And so I started having a pity party, wanting to quit. And, I, and it bugged me for about a year. To this day, I can still recall the feelings that I had. And that man did not mean guile. He just should have not done it in that way. If anything, he should have sat down with a cup of coffee, picked my brain, suggestions, and that. But that's just the way he does it. And he's a friend of mine to this day. And I had a hard time getting past it. So much to so one year. We were having camp, and uh, this one large kid from out of town came and he didn't click with the camp, he didn't click with me, he didn't click with any counselors, and he wanted to go home. And normally I'd say, too bad, so sad, you're here. But because I didn't know him and his size, I feared that he would hurt one of our teenagers. So I said, okay. So what I did is I called this gentleman from Treasure Valley Baptist Church that I know used to be a youth guy, and his name's Joe Putney. I said, Joe, he goes, hey, Brother Doty, how's it going? I go, well, I got a problem. He goes, what's up? I go, I got a kid that doesn't want to be here. And I told him the whole logistics about it. And Joe said, what do you want from me? I said, I need someone to come get him. He said, when do you want me up there? So I uh, said, okay, I'll meet you in Cascade. Two, three hours later, I can't remember what it was. I met him, gave him the young man, and Joe took him home. And I will say that, that, that was a huge blessing because I knew I could just pick up the phone, call one of the brethren, and any given moment, he said, what do you need, Brother Doty? I said, this is what I need. And he answered the call. And I believe 95% of everyone that goes here has that attitude. They have that attitude. A lot of good goes on around here on Sunday morning. Young people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The bus ministry will say, hey, we had three people get saved. Well, when you save three young people in a bus ministry, the chances of the parents getting saved is huge. The chances of the uncles getting saved is huge. The chance of that family making it is huge. Young people get saved. Marriage couples find hope. Not only in their individual Sunday school classes, they'll come in for counseling and say, hey, we have a problem. And I'd say, join the human race. We all have problems. But they are giving tools and abilities to have their marriage get better. Because normally it's a selfish thing. 
It's an I thing. It's a my thing. It's not others. That's why mothers and others. Mothers are the perfect servant because there's an M and others. I have a message I'm working on about that. But others. They find hope. Married couples find hope how to keep on going. I know I've been married 42 years and if I didn't know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I would not be standing here. Teenagers fall in love with Christ. You say, I don't see that. Well, you haven't been to a youth camp. I see teenagers come down to youth camp for years at the altar, crying and pleading with God on the sin of their life, and they're so confused. Their body's changing. Their mind's changing. Their thoughts are changing. Their voice is changing. And they don't know what to do but sit there and cry on an altar. And then a counselor comes up and puts his arm around him and says, how you doing? And I'm doing horrible. Well, let's go talk about how horrible it is. If you've seen what I've seen, 25 years of youth camp of hundreds and thousands of young men and women getting saved and, and helping their lives. One year, 50 people got saved. Never talked about it. They got saved. Whether they got saved or not, they made a profession. Young people, youth camps. Young people need youth camps. They need this church. They need those buses. They need those ping pong and foosball tables. They need people with smiles. Teenagers fall in love with Jesus Christ. All my kids did. I remember when Jared got saved from Master Club. Who was it? Who led you to the Lord? Gay Burton led my son to the Lord. When he got home, he told me, he goes, Dad, I got saved to Gay Burton. And I got mad. I go, you're too young to be saved. And the bad part is, the day he was born, I was praying, Lord, save my son, save my son, save my son, save my son. And then a church member leads my son to the Lord. And I questioned it. And here he is today, 40 years old, with his son. Teenagers fall in love with Jesus Christ here, lest you forgot. Old people have a place of refuge. Mr. Eisenhower came to my office and we spent an hour together. And honestly, that hour was my benefit, not his. Old people come here and they listen to messages and they see young people come up. They see the change offering. They see things going on. And yeah, you maybe have heard the message before or not, but they see there's hope. There's hope here. Jesus Christ, which the church, is more than you think. And I say that by this. Last night I came here early I thought I better, it's up to me to cancel church. I did not want to cancel church. I thought if I cancel church, people will hate me. If I cancel church, some people will love me. I am going to lose both ways. So I came to church and a little early and for prayer meeting. and I pulled up and there's Bud doing snow in his truck. And I pulled over and I flagged him down. I walked over and I said, Bud, how you doing? Plowing snow. And I said, how many times have you plowed? He said, I plowed it twice. And now there's like three or four more inches. I said, I said, I'm thinking, bud, of having church tomorrow. What do you think? <clears throat> he looked me in the eyes and he said this. I'm supposed to get six more inches tonight. And he says, I will plow all night long. It will be ready in the morning. And when you ask an older man like that, because the John Wayne type, that means he's going to plow all night long, and he's 80 years old, and it's going to be ready in the morning. And I looked at him, and he just said, it will be ready in the morning. And I guarantee you, it would have. So I walked with my tail between my legs into the, in the uh, prayer meeting, and I pondered those thoughts. It will be. That's what Treasure Valley Baptist is. An 80-year-old man plowing snow saying, I will plow all night if you want church. And that's not why I made the decision. But also back when it comes to Mark 3, it says this. And the Pharisees went forth straightway and took counsel and the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Destroy him for doing good. They destroy, wanted to destroy Jesus Christ for doing good. 
And to all the workers and ministers out there and the lay person, you are going to get hurt for doing good. There is no doubt about it. Think it not strange when these things happen to you. You will get hurt. You will have your feelings hurt. You will have your kids' feelings hurt. You will have to go through the fire if you want to minister to people. So much to sow in Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. One man said, do right until the stars fall. Do right. Matthew 12, Jesus. It says this, Matthew 12, 22. Then he was brought unto him, one possessed with the devils and blind and dumb. And I will say this to you, the man I'm going to bring up in a minute and show you a little thing about, he was possessed with devils, blind and dumb, spiritually. And he healed him, insomuch that he was blind and dumb, and both spake and saw. That's the difference when you get saved, and you teach some, tell someone about Jesus Christ, you, you see again, you hear again, you read again, you think again, you think differently. You're a new creature. And all the people were amazed and said, is this not the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, and let me say this to you, if there's a Pharisaical person in your life, there's a person that's always critiquing you, and there's a person always whispering in your ear uh, and, and saying bad things, and there's a Jonadab saying, oh, you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't go there, or be unhappy, or that's not the place to be. That's because they want to leave with you. People are going to say bad things, so you will think bad things of this church. And Jesus Christ built the church. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Devils. <laughs> That's what my grandkids say. Devils. Devils. Those devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. You know, that's the neat thing about Jesus Christ. I was praying earlier. I said, God, you know my thoughts. You know what I think. You know when I do bad. You know when I do good. And you still choose to use an old broken down guy like me. He knew their thoughts and he said unto them, Every kingdom, kingdom divided itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house against itself shall not stand. Now let me say this to you. Be careful when you talk bad about your church. Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And if you talk bad about your church, you're talking bad about Jesus Christ. Now you might have a complaint about the men who run it. You might have a complaint about people who run a ministry. You might have a complaint of how things are done. Don't talk bad about the church. Christ gave his life for it. And he said the gates of hell should not prevail against it. You don't want to be that person, that gates of hell prevailing against it. Be careful. Fortunately, men have faults. I have faults. Pastor has faults. Everyone sitting here has faults. As we go back to church members and witnessing and telling people about Jesus Christ, I was going to do this with a whole audience, but I'm going to say what I was going to do. I was going to say to you, just what does a church member look like? What does a church member look like? And I was going to pick someone out of the audience, and I'm going to say his name. I'm sure he won't have a problem with that. I was going to pick up Josh Taylor, He's a fine-looking young man. He's tall. He's handsome. He's slender. He's well-read. He's kind. He's just a nice guy. And I was going to say, that, he sits over there usually, that's the guy we're going to witness to. We're going to fill this house with those guys. Unfortunately, that's not what God wants. God wants us to go out and talk to people. What does a church member look like? What did you look like when you got saved? How did you act? 
when you got saved. Pastor Buddy Hoffman came to our house. We just got saved, and we were reading the Living Bible. And he, we told him he was living the Bible, and he was very discerning. And he said, well, here's what I'm going to say to you, Kendall. We had just got saved. Go ahead and read that Bible. But he said this, if you memorize any scripture, you memorize out of the King James. And he put that in my head, and I'll never forget it. Just like the other pastor, when he was talking about the King James, he said, if your book doesn't say it, junk it and get one that does. He didn't call me wicked or stupid or dumb by reading another version. He just put that into my brain kindly that I could make a decision through the Holy Ghost about what book to read. Remember, God looks at the heart. What do church members really look like? Don't be afraid of witnessing to a wild man. I would say some names because there's some wild men that are saved that go to this church, and they're still wild. One wants to wrestle you every time you see him. Love him dearly. And I was a wild man. Don't be afraid to listen to a wild man or witness to a wild man. They might embarrass you when they come to church. They probably will. They are going to embarrass you. We invited this one girl, and she said, well, how is your wife? Because we knew her when we were lost. And she started telling the church member what we were doing when we were lost. And we're going, hey, hey, stop, stop. Hey, 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 hey. So she went off and telling this church member about my wife, what they did when they were lost and all the crazy things they did. And me and my wife were like, oh, Lord. Because everybody thinks you were saved since childhood. Oh, please, please let this brother in Christ or sister in Christ have some grace with us. And finally the conversation stopped. They might embarrass you and they probably will. They might say something stupid, and they probably will. They might bring, oh, heaven forbid, their disobedient children here, but so are yours. <laughs> so are yours. Your kids don't have any bigger halos. Those kids, gloss kids come here, they know how to act. One of my grandsons, Ridge, when Sunday night's over, he's running all over this place, jumping all over, becoming a madman. And he's got good parents. He's a madster. He runs all over this place. It might make you uncomfortable. Yes, it will. When you bring someone into this congregation and they sit down beside you, they don't even know how to look in the book. They don't know what page to turn to. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to dress. They don't know how to do anything. But they come sit next to you. Be careful that you're not worried about your reputation on how you are. What God says, that's my reputation. That's my son of God leading someone in this church, having grace and charity and humility with that person. Oh, I'll let my visitors sit way in the back. No, you put them up right beside you, and you put your arm around them, and you help them. And yes, it is uncomfortable. They don't want to sing. They don't want to look up. They don't know how to act. Oh, and heaven forbid they come in with a different Bible. That's where prayer comes in. That's where charity comes in. That's where charity never faileth. I have a name, and uh, I was thinking about this because I wanted to bring somebody up and do it a little different, but we're here by ourselves. I was thinking about this gentleman, his name's David Spurgeon. If you look at David Spurgeon's track, and you should Google him, he is an evangelist. But when you look at his track, he's got long hair, a beard, and a mustache, and he was in a biker gang. He was in a biker gang, and careful what I say. He used drugs and alcohol, and he did all kinds of biker things. He was in nine years, and he made, was made somebody really high. And they did all kinds of bad things in his track. But here's the interesting part. And he had all kinds of um, felonies against him. And, he got, and God, God blessed. But one day in my cell... I observed another man with a, a similar background reading a Bible. He invited me to attend to a church service. Charity, it's funny it says this, Charity Baptist Church, Beaver Creek. And so eventually he went to that Charity Baptist Church in Beaver Creek. And he said the preacher had the guts enough to tell me the truth. I was a street-wise hustler, con artist in my own right. 
I asked him to come, Jesus to come into my heart and control my life, and he saved my soul that morning. I will never regret it. He is an evangelist right now. I've met him. He's been here. He loves Harley Davidson's. He made me go to the Harley shop. I'm not a Harley guy. We walked around, looked at Harleys, talked about Harleys, looked at Harleys, talked about Harleys. But you know what? He loves God more than he loves Harleys. He loves God more than he likes anything else. And you know what, David Spurgeon? He is rough around the edges. And he was that wild man. But someone led him to the Lord. He's a great evangelist. I encourage you to look him up. I encourage you to send him an email. Tell him you're praying for him. Or do something better. Send him some money. He's a good man. He loves the Lord. He's been an inspiration to me. I have a brother that likes motorcycles. And he gave him his book. Invite them to church. Please, give them the chance that you had. They might be the next David Spurgeon. God looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the outside. And heaven forbid us to look on the outside because I have been guilty of stereotyping. I have been guilty of looking on the outside. I have been guilty of saying, no, they won't fit in our church, or no, it's not a good time, or it's inconvenient. I got to go somewhere. What do you have to go? You're going to be late to the restaurant. You're going to be late for work. But a soul, a soul. I wonder why when one year we went to the youth, we went door knocking. And I've been door knocking to all kinds of houses. And unfortunately, the houses that have all the money, they don't want to talk to you. They want to just get out of here, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So I found two trailer parks. I was a youth guy back then. I thought, well, and God was working on my heart. And I went and talked to the manager, and he goes, as long as you're not selling anything, you can come in here. So I got it all approved and got all my kids on the bus. And it was a Wednesday night. I can't remember what it was. We were going to go witness. I was, I was a little nervous because I thought they would get hurt. And you hear old brother Doty went to a trailer park. How bad is he? The third trailer or the second trailer, I led a man to the Lord on the sidewalk. I thought, this just doesn't happen. The second trailer, this guy was talking, what are you doing? I led a man to the Lord on the sidewalk. We didn't go in the house. We didn't go there on the sidewalk. And every trailer that we went to, they would say, come on in, let's talk. What are you guys doing here? Truly, truly, the most fruitful field I ever had been in. But if you would put them all on a picture and stand them up, they would say, they don't look like church members. So ask yourself this, Lord, 2024. It's a new year. What do I have to do for you, Lord, this year? Nothing really matters. And I was praying, and, and let's be honest, He protects your children, He protects your wife, He protects this country, He protects us in every fan, in short, any way. Lord, what would you have me to do in 2024? God, uh, and I prayed this today. Lord, let me not be content until I lead someone to the Lord in 2024. Don't make me go to the ninth month or the tenth month, Lord. Let me get one in the second month or the third month, and maybe I even more, but let me just have one. Well, I'm going to do it, Lord. I want to do ten souls a month and twelve months. That doesn't matter. I'm asking for one soul, Lord. And then, maybe that soul I can disciple, bring him into this this church that has been so kind to my family, so kind to my friends. Yes, church with a lot of people, there can be issues. That's where charity never faileth. I'm going to look for a verse here. I'm going to leave you with this verse if I can find it. It says this, Ephesians. 
Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's one of my favorite verses. You don't want to know why? Because when someone does something I don't like or don't agree with, it ruffles my feathers. God says, Kendall, I love them as much as I love you. And let me say this to you about that waitress. I realize God loves her just as much as he loves me. And unfortunately, I have what God's given me, and I can't be stingy with it. I have to be willing to, what's your name? <laughs> Where do you work? Where do you do this? My name's Kendall. That's Shelly. We go to church. Because they always ask, where have you guys been? You look so nice. Well, we've been to church. What church do you go to? Treasure Valley Baptist. Well, that's nice. Here's a track and a tip. End of conversation. Well, next time I see her, I'm going to be gone for a few bits. We're going to go on my anniversary. But when I get back, I'm going to look for that gal. I'm going to invite her to church. You know why? Maybe she's my one. Or my wife's one. Because I know she's on board with this me, with this too with me. Thank you for being here today. The Navy SEALs are here. <laughs> uh, all those folks, thank you for being here. Uh, Special Forces is here. They made it through the snowstorm. Thank you for being here and thank you for tuning in. And we're going to close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and thank you for the snow. Thank you for this church at Treasure Valley Baptist. I know Pastor wanted me to tell everybody he's, he, he's healing well and doing good. He'll be back here very soon. Father, I pray for Brother Bob Kastner and he's healing up. I brother pray for Joe Pasola and Lee. Father, that they are down in Utah healing up. And God, all those, Father, in our congregation that have the flu and is a little bit sick, God, be with them. And Father, I pray, just be with us today and bless this church. Bless Treasure Valley Baptist. Bless everyone, Father, wanting to tell them about what we have here. We have something that is not, is not around a lot. Let us be proud and let us be encouraged to tell someone to be here. And guide and direct us that we can get someone saved and get them discipled and get them plugged in so they can do just like we did. Father, thank you for all you've done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.